The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Francis Watch. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner. The wailing and the gnashing of teeth can now end. The hiatus of Francis Watch is over. And I was telling His Excellency earlier today when we were talking about the show that there would be a huge audience reaction. Your Excellency, I'd like to capture that audience reaction for you on the return of Francis Watch. It sounds a little bit something like this. This, of course, is the audience reaction to the return of His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary, and a fellow seminary professor, Father Nicholas Esposito, pinch hitting for Father Chicada on this episode of Francis Watch. Your Excellency and Father, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having us. Thank you. Hello. Well, uh, it's been some time since we've had our last Francis Watch. Uh, we've had two Amoris Laetitia episodes. Since then, we still have one more Amoris Laetitia episode to go. You still have some penance ahead of you, Your Excellency and Father. Uh, so to begin the penance, we're going to go back to March of this year when Francis was washing the feet of Hindus. Now, we've already been through this with Francis before. This is not our first Maundy Thursday with Bergoglio. Uh, so I think it would be helpful because it's never, uh, it's, it's, it's not anything that uh, doesn't need to be repeated, Your Excellency. What, what are the rubrics for who should have their feet washed on Maundy Thursday? And then, uh, Father Disposito, if you could tell us whose feet Francis watch, washed this last Monday, Thursday? Well, the, the ceremony is a mystical ceremony, and it is to commemorate our Lord's washing of the feet of the apostles. And, you know, I'm not so familiar with the rubrics to say that it is required that everyone be Catholic, but I think that the presumption is there that everyone would be Catholic because non-Catholics should not be participating in Catholic rites. That's, uh, uh, you know, it's a very active participation. They should not be. So I think it comes under the, the general rule that non-Catholics cannot be participants in Catholic rites. So, uh, and it's a mystical thing. Nobody who comes in on Holy Thursday needs to get his foot washed. Right? They're all clean people that have taken showers probably before they came over. Right? But it's mystical. 
and that is that it, it manifests the charity of our blessed Lord and his humility uh, in the Last Supper. Uh, and so, you know, the idea of making it, uh, opening it up to non-Catholics is obviously against the First Commandment because it's, it's communication and sacred things and is wrong. They have no place in a Catholic ceremony. I mean, the most they can do is come to it and sit in the back or sit anywhere, really. But as long as they don't make any kind of disturbance, they can watch it. But they cannot actively participate in it. They could not be altar servers or sing in the choir or anything like that. And also, they cannot have their feet washed on Holy Thursday. And Father Disposito, whose uh, feet were washed this last Thursday? Well, uh, as far as I, I mean, I usually don't go to all the details, uh, but I saw that some, some people were Indus, non-Catholics, not only non-Catholics, but non-baptized uh, people, uh, some of them at least. And what uh, for me was more surprising, I would say, is that I, when uh, going to the website, now sort of watch and looking at, the, at this article and, and the news about this, which is not news, but... Um, I saw the, the comments of people, and that's uh, more disturbing that those who call themselves Catholics were actually criticizing uh, No Sword of Watch uh, and saying that Fra we have to pray for Francis and that we attack him and uh, uh, we should pray for him instead of attacking him. So still the, the people, uh, after so many years of the society, I, I you notice all the time this attitude of uh, you can have a bad pope and you can have a bad church that gives poison to, to the faithful and well, we are not supposed to criticize anything and, and also that the Catholic Church is able to do that so uh, according to I, I think it comes from the society the idea that we are only bound to believe things which are defined ex cathedra and after the Catholic Church can, can do whatever uh, and um, basically um, give uh, false doctrines and evil to the church as long as it's not defined like ex cathedra that and and we are not bound to believe in any on anything unless it is defined and we are actually studying uh, currently with one of the seminarians and there is something called the, the infallibility of um, yes this is the ex cathedra pronouncements but there is something uh, called the infallibility of the um, uh, of of, um, of security of doctrine, which means that the Catholic Church cannot give um, like a bad doctrine. So even if even when the Pope is doesn't want to define, doesn't have the intention of defining or speaking about something that is is in Revelation, still the Catholic Church cannot give something uh, evil to the church. There is like a pro divine providence, assistance of the Holy Ghost, and uh, theologian Franzelin calls it the security, it's like an infallible security of doctrine, so that uh, no, no evil can come from the church. So I notice people don't understand that, and uh, they say, oh, Pope uh, uh, Francis is a bad pope, and the church uh, now is bad, and and we have to resist the church and resist the Pope. That's, that's not, I mean, that's not Catholic. See, the church teaches the same thing concerning sacred rights. That although the church is free to alter sacred rights, it could never prescribe anything that is evil. Uh, so it cannot uh, prescribe uh, like a Protestant service or, or something that would be 
uh, evil to uh, attend, uh, would be a sin to attend. It cannot prescribe an ecumenical service, anything that's contrary to the, the commandments of God or of the church. Uh, so the, the, the same is true of its doctrine, that it cannot teach something that is evil, that, that would lead you into evil or have you think some evil thing or something that, that uh, is, is contrary to faith or, or any kind of sinful act. Uh, so that, that's even if the church is not defining something. So you can safely believe anything that the church teaches, even when it's not defining. That, that's what that means. Uh, so, uh, but getting back to this foot washing, uh, the, this is just another way of tearing down the Catholic Church through ecumenism. Ecumenism is the enemy of the Catholic Church because its fundamental premise is that the Catholic Church is not the one true church outside of which there is no salvation, but that all religions have value, including the Hindu and the Muslim, value in the order of salvation, and this is to prove it. So we, we're inviting them into a Catholic, you know, what purports to be a Catholic ceremony, and we are breaking the bonds of the faith uh, in doing this, and it's just just one more brick to collapse in, in, in the the magnificent edifice of Catholicism that, that uh, was built up for 2,000 years. Well, and it's also choosing to highlight immigrants. Uh, this is a, another part of the narrative. I, I did notice they were properly dressed up for the Novus Order. They're all wearing jeans, which as <laughs> yeah. we know is the proper dress code uh, for a Holy Week in the Novus Ordo, or pretty much any time in the Novus Ordo. In fact, that's probably a little overdressed. Like a tuxedo. Right, I mean, jeans. So uh, what's, this, what's this idea of focusing on immigrants again? Well, don't forget, he is a, a, a communist. I think he's an atheist. Uh, and for him, religion is at the service of humanity. So, you know, if you follow all of his speeches, it, it, it's almost always concerning something to do with the misery of humanity, of which communism and socialism is the remedy. Of course, see, as we all know, when we look at places like Cuba and Venezuela and, and China before it was capitalized, before it had a state capitalism, and Russia, you know, before it collapsed and now has a state capitalism, uh, Eastern Europe, all of these places that suffered miserably under communism, you know, these people are still trying to peddle this evil system that has fallen flat on its face from the point of view of success. Uh, so, uh, but that's, that's Bergoglio. He's, he's a, a social gospel man. Everything, uh, you recall that the two greatest evils in the world is the, are the, um, the, uh, the loneliness of widows or old people and that the young people don't have jobs. And the reason that the young people don't have jobs is that, is that they're living in socialist countries. Yeah, maybe we could get the young people to take care of the old people and they'd kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah, that would be a great idea. But who's going to pay them when the government has no money because it's given it out to everybody on, on a dole? Yes, it's true. Um, Father, I don't know if you noticed that uh, in these pictures, he's very much kneeling, kissing these feet. He looks very uh, into the act. 
But there are numerous photos of Bergoglio when he's in front of the Novus Ordo Eucharist. Uh, he has to have a seat. Uh, he can't uh, really yes, heal. Uh, yeah. uh, Did you follow this? Yes. I mean, as Bishop Samuel said, if, if he doesn't uh, believe in God, uh, basically he kneels before men. He does not believe, uh, he does not kneel uh, down before God. And the, we all know the liturgy. The, it's, a, it's like a language of gestures, and if you have um, there's supposed to be a real presence, and you do not, I mean, you sit down, uh, but when you see people, you kneel down, like uh, for washing the feet of the, these non-Catholics. Uh, so all of that has a meaning. I mean, if you say that he happened to have um, uh, knee problems one day, but not the other, but it's very strange that he always the, the knees hurt when. The Blessed Sacrament is is, is in the on the altar. So, um, I think, and, and also, if he believed in the real presence and if he believed in God, even if if his knees were bad, I mean, he will he will kneel anyways. Uh, I think so. Um, his knees are fine. He just doesn't believe in transubstantiation. Yeah. Let's let's face it. And also, I mean, I personal experience. I have some knee problems because of. I used to do some sports, and when I have to kneel, I mean, for the blessed sacrament, of course, you, you just kneel down. You don't think of, the, or, or you take some painkillers, but of course, he does not believe in the uh, uh, in those things, and he doesn't want to show the respect uh, because that's the um, for him. I think he's in his mind that will give the the idea of people that is the church of the past, and that cannot be. So he has a uh, he many times. Repeatedly, he said that in the past the church was basically like, uh, like I don't know, the um, yes, too conservative or, or too close or too this or that. Rigid. Rigid. So, yes, if you show uh, gestures in the liturgy that remind of, of, the, of, the, of the past, that's not good for him, so I think. so. Remember that this is the person who when walking through a hallway, took the trouble, and supposedly the Pope of Rome, took the trouble to make sure that the altar boys did not keep their hands folded in the traditional way. Yes. So he knows what this. He wants to drag everything down. He really does. One of the, uh, one of the things that really drowned out March and a lot of April was, of course, Amoris Laetitia. Today's program is not going to be about Amoris Laetitia. We're going to cover that in a separate episode uh, later uh, in this month. But what we did see were two responses to Amoris Laetitia, quote-unquote responses, one from the SSPX and one from uh, so-called Bishop Athanasius, Athanasius Schneider. And it's interesting, Your Excellency, because these responses, they remind one of the the, op the opposition party's response to the State of the Union. So the, the president of the United States gives a State of the Union, and then the opposition party has a, a response. Uh, I, the idea that you'd have a response to a so-called papal document is laughable. But uh, you don't just have one, but two responses. So you have this Athanasius Snyder and this SSPX official response, where we get told what to think of a papal document. Do you have a chance to look at either of these, Your Excellency? Yes, well, remember Father Chicata recently put out a video, uh, The Pope Speaks and You Decide. <laughs> and uh, this idea of responding to a papal document, 
uh, is something modern and uh, liberal. Uh, it, uh, it was done somewhat in the 19th century by liberals uh, when they felt, uh, for example, when Pius IX was too strong in the syllabus of errors and, and uh, you know, they would soften it, uh, Monseigneur Dupont-Louvre, for example. Uh, but it's typical of liberals. It's one thing to do when the Pope speaks, and that is to submit. There's no comment that you have to make except a comment of joy that he has promulgated a, a, uh, a document that, that speaks the truth. Or you know that, That's the only comment that you would make about it. You don't have some sort of reaction to it uh, because uh, he speaks for the church. And um, so uh, the... Yeah, the the, the Society of St. Pius, Pius X starts out with, the church is a mystery. That is so typically Novus Ordo, to say that the church is a mystery, to start out with that. Yes, it does have mysterious things about it, and, and there are things that we don't completely understand about it. But that idea that the church is a mystery is so typically Novus Ordo because they always wanted to detach from the notion of the church the idea of a visible institution outside of which there is no salvation, which de <coughs> descends as an institution from the apostles. You see, to say it's a mystery means, you know, it, it, it implies that it's some sort of ethereal thing that, that people uh, cannot understand. Um, and... Uh, she is the mystery of the one true God who is present among us, the saving God who desires not the death of the sinner, but that he be converted and live. Uh, and, you know, that, that's not a, a definition of the church. <clears throat> Maybe they're not trying to make a definition of the church. But, you know, to describe the church in that way is very typically Novus Ordo. Um, God who is present among us, I mean... Uh, how is he present except by sanctifying grace? How does sanctifying grace come except through the sacraments of the church, namely baptism? Uh, yes, God can bypass his own sacraments, that's true. But the, to, this is such a, a bizarre thing to hear from somebody who, who claims to be a traditional Catholic. It sounds like something that uh, Romano Guardini would write or, or some other Novus Ordo theologian. Uh, <clears throat> and then we get into, he says, the church is infallible in her divine nature. This is, uh, I think, Father Schmidtberger. Uh, but she is led by human beings who can go astray. So you know what we're in for. Uh, that, uh, that, you know, there's, there's uh, the, the Pope again has told us to, do, to think something wrong, and he's told us error, and so we have to reject it. Um <clears throat> So uh, uh, so he says, as long as we he occupies the papal throne, we recognize him as such and pray for him. We are not saying that he is a good pope. On the contrary, through his liberal ideas and his administration, he causes much confusion in the church. Well, how about heresy? How about the approval of fornication and adultery? That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, confusion. He's very clear in that document about fornication, dirty, filthy fornication, living together, and uh, and adultery. 
against the sixth commandment of God. You know, so, so this is just a, you know, beating around the bush. Don't forget that they are holding out for a, a reconciliation, so they can't say anything that is too direct. <clears throat> um, so uh, uh, so that it's the same usual nonsense that you get out of them. Um, so then, it, you know, a whole uh, after that, there's a uh, a whole reiteration of all of their thinking that that you can recognize these people as popes, and at the same time, uh, you can completely reject what they say and and do whatever you please. Uh, so, is uh, one thing I would like to add. Does Father Schmidberger believe in the the thoughts about the church and the place of the society, etc., in it? Uh, which yes, he speaks about the confusion uh, in the church caused by Francis. Which again, if he's if he were a true pope, according to the, the all theologians, he impossible. He cannot be the cause of confusion in doctrine for the church. But in any way, any case. Um, the Schneider, uh, Arch, let me see, he's a uh, or bishop or archbishop, I don't know, this, uh, Schneider, he has the same kind of, with regard to Amoris Laetitia, because he wasn't able to save it, at the end, he says that, uh, considering the confusion regarding sacramental practice in respect to the divorce and remarried, and the many differing interpretations of Amoris Laetitia among priests and bishops, uh, one may consider justified the call on our beloved Pope Francis, the Vicar of Christ, uh, etc., uh, in order that the, the Francis is supposed to uh, publish an authentic interpretation of Amoris Laetitia. So, because the one, the document itself seems to be a cause of confusion and uh, ambiguous, which is not, I mean, it's very clear. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And so Schneider is saying that uh, he's supposed to clarify everything, so such a clarity will en ensure the joy in love, amoris, amoris Laetitia, a love and a joy uh, that would not be according uh, uh, to the minds of men, but to the mind of God. So he makes a whole, like, basically asking Francis uh, to make a, a, an authentic interpretation, uh, and he says that he has to renew all of the teaching of the Church about the Ten Commandments, and the ordinary mysteries of the church with regard to uh, the divorce and remarriage, etc. And basically, to um, this authentic interpretation has to deny the very words of the of the document. So, of course, it's never going to happen. Ah, so it's been a false interpretation. That's yeah. the mistake that we've made. Well, Boy, where yeah. have we heard that? Where have we heard that one before, Your Excellency? But, but not, the funny thing is, the even Schneider says that the, the bad interpretation of it is caused by the very document. It's not by the bad faith of, of the priests. So that's why he says that um, basically you have, they have a reason or they have a, um, I mean, it was like an occasion for these people, for, for the liberals to interpret in this way because they have a, a foundation to interpret it in this way. So basically he couldn't save it, even the, the literal uh, whatever the words of the document. So he says that the document is bad, but if you make a, an interpretation uh, like authentic of it, uh, you could save it, but it's not saved at all, uh, even according to him. So it needs a, a new document uh, going back to what he calls the, the doctrine of John Paul II. So uh, 
which is for me it was interesting to see that he couldn't save it, not not, not even Schneider, and uh, that he's calling for a new authentic interpretation of Amoris Laetitia. So. Yeah, it's just one more way in which to uh, wriggle out of the problem that you have somebody uh, spewing heresy from what purports to be the Sea of Peter. And uh, it is, it's the, the constant tune of the Novus Ordo conservatives who will accept anything, anything that comes down from uh, the modernists in the Vatican, anything at all, and they'll come up with some sort of spin in order to uh, ignore it or save it or, or do whatever they need to do in order to carry on life in the Novus Ordo. Yes, and also Bishop Schneider, what he doesn't say is if this authentic interpretation that he's asking for is never given by Francis and he will never do it, what do Catholics, I mean, what, what do they do? Uh, they, should they obey the commandments or they, they can... Um, interpret Amoris Laetitia as everybody's interpreting it, uh, is the, the teaching of the authentic magisterium is, is still obligatory, or is Amoris Laetitia, according to them, the authentic magisterium of the Church, I mean, with regard to sacramental uh, discipline? So basically, is, is Francis giving them the, a document that at least is able to be taken in, in, as a... Uh, as a means of, of perdition. I mean, it's, that's the thing that theologically is impossible, that a pope or a church cannot give these kind of documents to, to the church. Well, and, and he makes your point exactly, Father, uh, right above that. Uh, it sounds like something that would come out of uh, Most Holy Trinity. It says, confusion in sacramental discipline with regard to divorced and remarried couples, with its inevitable doctrinal implications, would contradict the nature of the Catholic Church, such as it was described by St. Irenaeus, in the second century, quote, the church having received this preaching and this faith, though sc although scattered around the world, keeps them carefully as though inhabiting a single house, and she believes in an identical manner as though she had only one soul and one heart, and she preaches, teaches, and transmits in a unanimous voice as though having only one mouth, and that's quoted from Against the Heresies. Uh, clearly, he understands what the implications are, and what, what's even more interesting is beyond that, the way that Bishop Fillet concludes his sermon on this matter, which he, he starts with, uh, this is an apostolic exhortation entitled, The Joy of Love, But It Makes Us Weep. He ends with, we humbly but firmly implore the Holy Father to revise the exhortation of Morris Laetitia, and most especially chapter 8, as with the documents of Vatican II, what is ambiguous must be interpreted in a clear manner, and what contradicts the constant doctrine and practice of the church must be retracted for the glory of God, for the good of the whole church, and for the salvation of souls, especially those in danger of being deceived by the guise of a false mercy. In both of these so-called responses to an amor, amor satitia, they either posit that Catholic doctrine has already been contradicted, or what happens if there is confusion in sacramental discipline, what that does in relation to the nature of the Catholic Church. Both of these people know, and yet they're still misleading souls into saying that this man is the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth. Well, their fundamental problem is that they see that man as the Roman pontiff, and that carries so much authority that they have to come up with the wildest and craziest 
statements in order to make the whole puzzle fit. And it's the same thing every time. And no matter how radical the, the uh, modernist so-called popes get, they will come up with some sort of response that tries to, to glue the whole thing together, and not very well. None of it makes a bit of sense. Where is your infallible church? Where is, where is the church that St. Irenaeus describes? Where is it? And, you know, they say to us, say to Vacantis, you know, where is the church for you? And they, they say, you don't have a visible church. Well, where is the church of St. Irenaeus that he describes for those people? It doesn't exist if you accept the positions of the SSPX. Well, as, as you were talking about with Father Schmidberger's response, uh, this was sort of ill-timed. It was uh, something, as usual, we know the SSPX is a very leaky boat, and this was leaked to the media, and at first it was denied, and then it was accepted, but it was coming out at the same time, typical. Uh, it, was, it came out around the same time of Amoris Dictitia. Of course, I don't think they planned for it. So with, with those comments, I think what was interesting, Your Excellency, is uh, when questioned about it, uh, Bishop Belay said, um, Francis considers us Catholics. Doctrine is not that important to him. <laughs> Where do you begin with such a statement? He said that in La Croix. Oh, my God. They, they, I don't know where to begin with that. They, they, uh, if doctrine is not important, then you don't have the faith. Because the faith, it is assent to doctrine, and it is the basis of all sanctification. And therefore, if doctrine is not important for you, you don't have the faith, you're probably, if you're not a heretic, you're an apostate, because you're one or the other. It sounds apostatical, is that you have no care about doctrine at all, any doctrine. And, and you know, is that a defense? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll read the exact quote for your Excellency. So this was in an interview that Bishop Fillet gave. Now, mind you, this is the sort of interview that the SSPX wanted to publicize, not like the last interview that he did most recently, which we can talk about. But he says, uh, for him, uh, Francis, the doctrine is not so important. Man, the people are important. And there we have given enough proof that we are Catholics. So you see, that's the approach he has. He just sees that we are genuine, period. And so he certainly sees things he disagrees with in us and would probably want to see us change. But for him, that's not the important thing. The important thing is to love Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Uh... So that means that he is accepting them in the same way that he would accept that Protestant minister who died in the motorcycle accident. Uh, that it's on the same plane and that they are being received on that level. I would compare it to a woman being received by a lascivious man uh, as a mistress. See, not as somebody that he honors or, uh, or in any way uh, for whom he has admiration, but as a mistress. So the SSPX is going to be one of the many mistresses in the, in the, the great tent of the, of the caliph uh, uh, 
<laughs> the caliphate in Rome. I'm, I'm comparing it to the to Constantinople and the others, the where it was just one big house of mistresses, because that is to be a mistress. If you are are not being received as someone who professes the truth, but merely as someone who loves Jesus, all right, that is so dishonorable. Uh, it it is it is to to become a a, a prostitute. Worse than a prostitute, uh, to to accept to be that that well we love Jesus therefore we we're acceptable that that is so low uh, and but you know they are down that path once you give him the papacy you give him everything and you you become desperate to find explanations why you want to be with him. Because on the one hand, you give him the papacy. On the other hand, you denounce everything that he thinks and says uh, and tells you to do. Uh, so much so that they have founded a, a parallel church. They have consecrated their own bishops. They ordain illegally every year priests all over the world and send them out as if they had a, a, a separate church. And And... Here, it's that I mean, the conclusion of all of that activity is that what comes out from the Vatican is evil, 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 so much so that we can't have anything to do with it, and that we are empowered to even consecrate bishops in order to preserve ourselves from what comes out of the mouths of these so called popes, and that is so absurd. That on the one hand, they're honoring him as the Pope, and on the other hand, they are carrying on a parallel church, ignoring him completely. And so they get into these absurd explanations, which we just had, the totally absurd explanations that, that he's willing to accept us, not on the basis of doctrine, but on the basis of just loving Jesus, as, it, as he would accept any other Protestant or 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 holy roller, or anything at all, any kind of, anything that qualifies for the common term Christian. I mean, that, how can you hold up your head? That's what I would say to SSPX. It's shameful. It's downright shameful. And you are betraying the church in doing so. And the uh, one thing that Bishop, uh, Bishop, Father Schmidberger points out is that the difference between all other communities, uh, like traditional communities in the past, and this is that uh, the starting point is not the same. He says, in our case, Rome is the one that is eager for a solution and has come to us. In the other cases, those communities went to Rome as supplicants, often with a guilty conscience. So it's one, basically one of the... Uh, the reasons why they accept being one of, as Bishop Samuel says, one of the prostitutes, <laughs> is that um, is that Rome went to them. I mean, according to this, and it's not they that they are. They have the interest in being united with the Catholic Church, basically, according to them. So, which again is all absurd. And even if they get united and full communion, as they call, uh, Bishop uh, again, Father Schmidberger says that the danger of contagi contagion which in the faith and or with poison of modernism, is great, he says. Yet we can and must es escape it with the grace of God. So again, how um, they're willing to go with this uh, full communion thing, 
and knowing knowing that they may be transformed into whatever the, the no sort or or the, into modernism, but God will prevent that somehow, and they will convert the Catholic Church to Catholicism. So that's what they think. So it's very strange, and uh, but yes, uh, but for me it was f funny to. Uh, to see that Bishop Feli was happy because some someone who doesn't care about doctrine considers him Catholic. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't. Well, and, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Your Excellency, I think Father Schmidberger is the Talleyrand of the traditional Catholic movement. I mean, <laughs> the man can say he can adapt to any circumstance. From the paragraph that that uh, Father was reading, at the end he says. Finally, the objection raised is only partially relevant. The fraternity of St. Peter has already been in existence for more than 27 years. And at least in German-speaking countries, it has remained true to the traditional mass, with few exceptions. Indeed, having the Society of St. Pius X in the background was their life insurance. Wow, the fraternity of St. Peter was holding on to the SSPX's life insurance. And look at how positively he's speaking about the fraternity of St. Peter. It's almost as if he's been given a script as to how he's going to conduct himself now that he's part of the official church. I tell you, this is the same man who signed a paper the day after the excommunications in which he said they have never wanted to be part of this schismatic church, uh, that they have no desire, and they're very glad to be excluded from this church. And this is the same man who writes this. I mean, if this isn't Tally Rand, I, d I don't know what is. <laughs> I won't tell you what Napoleon said about Talleyrand. <laughs> well, you can tell our listeners, Your Excellency, if you'd like. Well, uh, I will uh, make it more acceptable to public audience, but he, he said he is a, a pile of manure in silk stockings. Mm. <laughs> well, that, uh, he said it a little bit more colorfully, though. <laughs> right. It is not I who say so. And it, it's interesting, uh, we, we haven't quoted Francis on this, but Francis's uh, quote to Lacroix on May the 17th, as translated by Stéphane Gigat, says, Bishop Belay is a man with whom one can dialogue. That is not the case for other elements who are a little strange, such as Bishop Williamson or others who have been radicalized. Leaving this aside, I believe, as I said, in Argentina that they are Catholics on the way to full communion. If he said that about me, that I was a great person with whom to dialogue, I would go to a closet, lock myself in there, and throw the key under the door, and hope that no one ever would look at me again. <laughs> what you're and saying it, is you'd, you'd, you'd want to be treated as hosts consecrated by juring priests during the French Revolution, Your Excellency. Uh, yes. You'd want to be left, at, left somewhere to decompose. <laughs> yes, that is such, <laughs> oh, if such a man would say that he's a great person with whom to dialogue, I, I don't know what I would do with myself. If I ever got in his presence, there would not be a dialogue, there would be a big fight, <laughs> and we, <laughs> there would be no hope of any communion little, one way or the other. <laughs> maybe a bit more encounter than dialogue, Your Excellency. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh... No, it it's so sad to to watch the whole thing crumble. Of course, we see it in its causes, and Archbishop Lefebvre's flip-flopping position. 
But it, it is, there's a certain sadness in this to, to, to watch the final throes, the final death throes of this society. There's a certain sadness because to a certain extent, they did preserve something. They had something of anti-modernism in them. And now it's all going to go down the drain. And, and we're watching the, uh, you know, the final breaths of this organization. And, and what is particularly said is that they are the ones that gathered together for the past 40-some years, practically everyone that had any inkling or instinct to resist modernism. And they have gathered them into a great corral. And now they're going to be led to slaughter by, by returning to the Novus Ordo. Uh, like those great uh, yards in Chicago where all the cattle are, are, are kept, or Kansas City, uh, that's your old town, where all the cattle are kept, all of them waiting to be slaughtered. One by one slaughtered just with a machine, and, and they, they hang them upside down and hit their heads with something and move them on one by one so that they can become hamburger or steaks. Uh, that's what has happened to all of these people who have looked with hope to this organization, they are all going to be spiritually destroyed. And, and we're seeing the last throes of any kind of semblance of anti-modernism, or the, I should say the, the last breaths of a society that was meant to oppose Vatican II and its reforms, and now it's going to essentially embrace them, coming in as a mistress to a non-doctrinal church, uh, one of the many, that he's willing to embrace on the basis that you love Jesus. Well, you know, it could be, you know, Your Excellency, he's from, he's Swiss, and he's used to cows in Switzerland being so happy, and they have such <laughs> good lives. So, you know, maybe cows going to slaughter is it's a perfectly fine thing, because, you know, Swiss cows are very happy. Father Disposito, I think it's interesting, he says, as I said in Argentina, because I think there's been a sort of test case going on there. The uh, SSPX priests in Argentina get money from the diocese. I think they're considered quite regular. And given that Bergoglio was from there, it, I, I think it was sort of a test case to see how would they do it. And the, and the SSPX, again, they didn't t return the money, as far as I'm told. The, the checks were not returned. Uh, so it looks like they're sort of incorporated with the Novus Ordo at le in at least that country. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yes. Uh, You're the expert in Argentina, Father. Well, I mean, I haven't been there for in, in a while. But the um, yes, no, they will never give back the money because this is Argentina. Um, and the no, but I think the part of the about that the it happens like in other countries that used to be Catholics and they used to be the that those. Um, uh, concordance with the state, so the state will give them money and, and to control it, etc. So I think part is the the people there they don't give much money in general, and they are supposed to the state is supposed to take care of the church. So when they, I think it's a, um, a clever, I think, smart way for Francis to include them as part of the official. Uh, church or this the society so that they can get this yes the the money and all the the different other things that they get uh, privileges from the state so be part of the 
why I say smart? Because the people don't understand the, the differences. So you can go, even in our uh, set of accountants mission, uh, a mass offered in a, like in a, in a house, uh, people will not understand that that the, the, they had to give money to the church and the, 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 to support the priests. They, everybody has the idea that the, the state gives money to the priests. So uh, I think for Fran Francis, like that kind of experiment there, uh, it works both for him, because he can basically control them, also for the state, because they have the ultimate, uh, they have the checks, and, for, and the society, because they receive that, and they keep certain independence at the same time. Um, but I don't, I wasn't aware, uh, all of this is probably in Buenos Aires, I wasn't aware of, the, of that kind of relationship between Bergoglio and the society in Argentina before, like when he was a cardinal. I really thought that they, uh, because Bergoglio was always uh, leftist and uh, he was in favor of uh, the, almost the gay marriage and all of that. So... I don't know if there was something that people uh, behind the curtains or something, but I always thought that even for the society he was the enemy. So now it's like everything is fine, but before uh, was was the enemy. So again, I don't know re all the what is really going on, but it's true that in Argentina now you go to the society and um, people don't see the difference. If you call yourself Catholic, that's it. Uh, you're part of the, the big, uh, happy organization. Um, so, well, it, it's such a, well, Father. You and I are, are sort of youngsters in this traditional movement. Uh, His Excellency will remember a time where there are these negotiations and doctrinal points and that sort of thing. But uh, we've come to the end. Uh, who cares about doctrine? This is a man with whom I can dialogue. There's not going to be more doctrinal commissions. That's a waste of time. Poor Bishop Tissier will be unemployed. Because who needs doctrine? Uh, the idea is you love Jesus. That's the important thing. Um, I think our, our listeners have, have uh, understood your points, Your Excellency, as well as you, Father. I'd like to move on to this new papal Frankenstein. It's really too bad that Father Chicada is not with us. I know he would have a special name for this, this new uh, two-headed papal monster. Uh, and the stories uh, from Novus Ordo Watch, uh, and it's it's related. It, it was uh, at the end of last month, and it's uh, in relation to this new book that has come out in Italian. Uh, translates in English to "Beyond the Crisis of the Church," and it's a history of of the uh, the so-called pontificate of Benedict the Sixteenth. It was augmented with some with a talk with some commentary. And his idea is that the papacy has been changed by Benedict. I'll read from the translation. Uh, I was present when he decided not to renounce his name, Benedict XVI. He did not return to being Joseph Ratzinger, as Pope Celestine V did, who after a pontificate of a few months, once again became Pietro de Morone on December the 13th, 1294. Since February the 11th, 2013, therefore, the papacy is no longer what it was before. It will remain the Catholic Church's foundation. However, Benedict XVI has altered this foundation in a permanent way by means of his anomalous pontificate. Uh, he goes on uh, later to say, uh, 
the epical resignation of the Pope of Theologians was therefore a step forward. He vacated his chair, but he did not renounce his, his, this ministry. He augmented the personal office with a collegial and synodal dimension. Uh, and so he, he, uh, he, Benedict XVI did not take off his white cassock, nor did he give up his name. That's why even today the correct way to address him is Holy Father, and that is why he did not retire to a secluded monastery, but to the inside of the Vatican, as though he had only stepped aside in order to make room for his successor and for a new stage in the history of the papacy, which by means of this step he enriched by the power of his prayers and his shared sufferings in the shared suffering in the Vatican Gardens. Well, Your Excellency, you know, the 60s may be past us, and the idea of Paul VI and the fake ears and the real guy being trapped in the basement. But mm -hmm. the conspiracy theories don't ever stop, do they? No, uh, no, they don't. Uh, there, there's, you know, I, I don't think it's, I don't know whether you can take seriously what this man says, Genswein, although he is close to Ratzinger, he's his secretary. So this may be coming from Ratzinger. And we, Ratzinger said back in the 1990s when he was cardinal that we don't know what the papacy will be like in the future. And they might have some vision of uh, something like the Roman state where there, there are you know, two popes, so to speak, two consuls, and that uh, when you're a, re a retired consul, you go into the Senate and you direct the state in the Senate as a senator. Something like that. Uh, so you could end up with four or five popes. It would make the the white cassock people really happy. I mean, they would be you know be great for business. The you could uh, it's a way of tearing down the the papacy. See, they have to get rid of a whole bunch of things in order to do ecumenism, uh, and one of them was the church's insistence on the indissolubility of marriage. You can't do ecumenism with Protestants if you insist on that. So they've gotten rid of that. They also have to admit women priests. So you see this thing with the deaconesses and the you know the women deacons. So that will be the path to the priesthood for women uh, because the Anglicans have women priests and all of these other Protestant denominations have women priests. So you're going to see that. And you have to get rid of the papacy. So if you have this two-man papacy... Uh, it, it obviously weakens uh, and even does away with the monarchical papacy of the Catholic Church. There is absolutely no scriptural evidence for this double papacy or one and a half papacy and no traditional evidence for it. It is an innovation. It is an invention. It would be as if uh, you had two presidents or one and a half presidents uh, in the United States, it's a change in the Constitution, and this is what they're they're doing. They're changing the very Constitution of the Church, or attempting to. I just uh, I don't I don't understand why why this is a solution. Uh, if the idea uh, there's the resignationist theory, you know, Benedict was forced against his will you know, to do this. And so he's the real Pope. And I, I get that it's a get out of jail free card for, for some people who see Ratzinger as the, the great white hope part in the pun. But the, the idea that, um, that now there's this, this dual papacy in some ways, 
Your Excellency, given that Benedict uh, Ratzinger is such an innovator, the sort of man who'd get rid of limbo, that kind of thing, yeah. it's not really... It's not really that much of a stretch to me. And so in some way, I called it a conspiracy theory. But in some ways, I think he would take pride in being an innovator in that way. And it is true. He is still walking around in a white cassock. He is still being asked to be called Your Holiness. He still has kept his a so-called papal name. Uh, so he hasn't surrendered any of the, the privileges that we normally associate. We certainly haven't seen anything like it among anti-popes before. Normally, when you have anti-popes, you, you have warring delegations and you're denouncing people. Uh, but uh, you've never, you never had an, an anti-pope living next to another anti-pope. No. In fact, he's, he's, probably, he's, probably got the nice, he's probably got the nicer apartment. You know, knowing Francis, he wants to go live in a doghouse somewhere, probably. So he yeah. can show his solidarity with the poor. So Francis or is right. Or at least he but. shows that. I would like to actually see where he lives. <laughs> uh, but in any case, uh, but my theory is a whole other one. I don't know if if anybody's interested in hearing it. Of, of course, we're interested, Your Excellency. My theory is that uh, that there was so much pressure, particularly from the United States, concerning his participation in the pedophilia and cover-ups of various clergy because he was the head of the congregation that took care of such things. And there's plenty, or at least it is said, that there is plenty of evidence that he merely cast aside many complaints. All right, And my guess is uh, that uh, he wanted to uh, avoid any kind of embarrassment with that, and that uh, he nevertheless retains a head of state uh, status so that he is immune from prosecution. And one of the things that leads me to believe this is that, to my knowledge, he never leaves Vatican territory. Oh. He, he, that's why he's in the back there. Uh, he is never seen at you know, the Gregorian University. He never crosses into Italy. If he crossed into Italy, he would be subject to all of the rules of extradition and so forth if the United States put a, uh, some sort of you know, criminality upon him. He would be subject to the rules of extradition and might end up in a prison in this country. That's my theory. Because he was the head of that congregation which for years said nothing about the pedophilia. Uh, so, you know, I think this might be a whitewash, not an, <laughs> that would be something Father Chicago would say, uh, this might be a whitewash uh, by his secretary of something that may be more sinister, but that is only my theory. What, but what alerts me is, why is he never in Italy? Never. I mean, to my knowledge, never in Germany, never outside the Vatican. He takes a helicopter to Castel Gandolfo. Immune. Why does he need that immunity? And I think that's the reason for the white cassock. If he had gone back to Cardinal Ratzinger, then he's no longer head of state. That's my theory. But, you know, this is getting into really conspiracy theory. Uh, but uh, I, I just, why is he there all the time? 
No, I think so, there's some anyway. merit to that argument. I, I don't think I, I don't think it's as far fetched, Your Excellency, as, as as you might say. I think it is uh, it is a a real question. And I, and I, I given what we've seen before with prosecute pros, prosecutions uh, along these sorts of lines, it is a smart safeguard. Uh, so there are all sorts of reasons why this might be happening. Yes, maybe he's playing with the papacy. Maybe he's avoiding legal issues. Uh, maybe he just doesn't want to let go. Uh, but uh, it's clear that this is just more confusion heaped upon confusion, isn't it? It is. It is. It's just, again, one more brick to fall. Uh, an, another way of, of, of the disintegration of, of... The church cannot disintegrate, but uh, many people can be scandalized away from the church by the confusion and the errors of the Novus Ordo. <clears throat> that can happen. Uh and, and the way to solve it is to denounce these heretics as heretics, get to call for their riddance, and to preserve the Catholic faith without any influence from those people. I, I will say, Your Excellency, there's precedent for when we have multiple claimants. So we call a council, depose both of them, and, uh, and elect a new one. So if you put yourself forward as a candidate, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that you'd, uh, you'd definitely get a, get a few votes here and there. I'll see how I do in the primaries. <laughs> There's two more things I'd like to, to speak about before I, I let you and Father get back to uh, to your teaching duties and, and your duties around the seminary. The first is uh, something we've covered before, which is the, the so-called Reformation will be having a celebration. And uh, Vatican Radio, of all places, uh, has put out a press release for this explaining what's going to happen uh, later this year, uh, in October, uh, in Sweden, uh, there'll be a, a joint prayer service, uh, and uh, Francis will be there with with a number of people. Um, one of the uh, one of the quotes here: "There is power when communities find their way out of conflict. In Christ, we are encouraged to serve together in this world. The joint commemoration is a witness to the love and hope." We all have because of the grace of God. Uh, the so-called Catholic Cardinal adds, by concentrating together on the centrality of the question of God and on a Christocentric approach, Lutherans and Catholics will have the possibility of an ecumenical commemoration of the Reformation, not simply in a pragmatic way, but in the deep sense of faith in the crucified and resurrected Christ. Uh, this is the same theme we saw with Bishop Fillet, Your Excellency, our Lord as a get-out-of-jail-free card for doctrine. If we mm -hmm. focus on loving Jesus, he, he mm -hmm. says, Christocentric approach, let's focus on the crucified and resurrected Christ. If, if we distract you and say, well, let's focus on Jesus, well, Jesus doesn't have anything to do with doctrine. Mm -hmm. No, it's, remember Vatican II. The, the church is composed of all who look with faith toward Jesus. Vatican II, that's Lumen Gentium. It all goes back to Vatican II. It is to reduce dogma to some basic fundamentals. We love Jesus, and, and that's it. And the, the rest of it you can have. You can believe whatever you want. Uh, and, and that's what precisely Bergoglio thinks, and that's precisely why he's willing to bring in the SSPX. He doesn't care what they think, as long as they love Jesus. 
And they're willing to accept that as the terms of a reconciliation, which, as I said, is totally shameful. Shameful. Uh, and, uh, uh, but, you know, this is just another exercise in ecumenism, which, by the way, hasn't worked in 50 years, which I think is amusing. In doing church history, you hear of all of these cases where the church actually did reconcile schismatic and heretical groups in her long history and successfully brought them back. Uh, it, even the, all of the Eastern schismatics came back at Florence. Uh, they accepted and then went home and, and went back to their, their schism again. But the, the church has always been uh, active in drawing people back to itself but on the terms of accepting Catholic doctrine and the, the role of the papacy. And it has been very successful in doing that over the past 50 years, despite all of the groveling that has been going on, practically literally, in front of Protestants and schismatics on the part of these modernists. There's not a single thing that has happened. They cannot even reconcile the Society of St. Pius X after 40-some years. They're incapable of it. So, you know, here is one more time uh, the same old rerun show <laughs> of, of groveling and, and, and denial of dogma. And, you know, nothing is going to come of it. The only thing that may come of it one day is one big dogmaless humanitarian church. That is the probable outcome, and I think that is the goal, my opinion. Father Disposito, do you, do you have anything that you'd want to add to this? Well, I just I was thinking of, uh, because he says that both will ask for forgiveness to each other, <laughs> I was thinking of um, uh, many cases in you know, of all those heretics were burned at the stake. Uh, you had to ask for, for each one of them. Um, <laughs> And I know it's, it's absurd. And also, yes, the, the ecumenism is, as it says that cardinal there, is not a mere like pragmatic thing, but it's in the deep sense of faith. So, uh, again, it's all um, a, a union that many times people say, oh, ecumenism is just a way to a dialogue in order to convert them. But no, it's obviously that's not the... the um, uh, the reason for it, I mean, is 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 to get a unity. As Bishop Samuel says, without dogma, it's basically to get rid of all dogmas, and the unity will be there because there's nothing that uh, separates us if there's no dogma. So um, uh, no, just it's very um, almost like sounds fake. They don't this uh, 500 years commemoration because they are not going to go to, to the documents and see what actually happened because that would be really uh, embarrassing <laughs> uh, and it's just uh, one more thing to create this this new new religion yes and people just again don't say anything and nobody complains about it everybody loves it most most Novosordites think it's wonderful that this that we're not insisting on doctrines and that that all churches have value. It's constant. I just had uh, an example yesterday talking to a Novus Ordo. And I, it's, it's everybody I talk to is the same. That this is wonderful that we're all getting together and that, that all religions have value and uh, that you follow your conscience. And, you know, that, that this is the, 
uh, uh, just a wonderful breakthrough. And oh, they love Francis. I would say 99% of the people you talk to would say that. I, I can't remember the last time I spoke to someone on the street, so to speak, who doesn't like this new movement, who is troubled by it. Uh, so, you know, we're becoming a very, very isolated group. And when SSPX goes over into the palace of the sultan, so to speak, uh, the uh, as one of the harem, uh, the uh, uh, we are going to be a very small number of those who are resisting modernism. Very small. Mistresses and concubines don't go well in the Old Testament. Uh, they don't. They don't end well. Uh, I, I remember something about dogs and uh, and being eaten. Um, yeah. I want to con. I want to conclude today's episode, Your Excellency, with something that we couldn't cover in last the last Francis Watch that we did back in March because the release of the interview came the day that we did Francis watch. So it, it, it wasn't something we could cover, but it was something that came up throughout your European trip because it was so cringy to talk about. It. And I'm talking about the interview uh, on conflict zone that Filet, uh, Bishop Filet did. I remember everywhere we went when we brought it up, everyone talked about how much it made them squirm. And what's interesting is, we're no Bishop Filet fans. I, I don't think any listener would say, ah, yes, Francis Watch, uh, Bishop Sanborn, Father Disposito, they're big fans of Bishop Filet. I think the squirm factor is for seeing, what, uh, at least the man who claims to be a Catholic bishop, we know he has valid orders, uh, just caught like a deer in the headlights, uh, unable to speak the truth. And there were three things that were covered in this interview. If you don't know about this, listeners, all you have to do is search for conflict zone interview filet. And you will see this absolutely painful. I, the first time I watched it, I had to pause it after four minutes. I was just so embarrassed for Bishop Filet. It was just, it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Um, it was embarrassing. I felt sorry for him and embarrassed for him. It was so bad. Somebody told me the other day, I was out in Seattle, that they had to cut it off after about two-thirds of it because they couldn't take it anymore. It was just so bad. It was, it was, such, a, it was just such a car crash. Now, you will not see the SSPX promoting this. The interview that they, they did in which it says that uh, doctrine is not important, all you have to do is love Jesus, that's on the SSPX's official website. This interview did not make it to the SSPX official website, um, and it covered three things. The first was that Bishop Filet listed the Jews as enemies of the church. Uh, the quote was, over centuries, they have been the enemies of the church. The interviewer puts this to Bishop Filet, and Bishop Filet says, no, uh, what I meant was the Jews considered the Catholic Church to be an enemy. <laughs> right. It, obviously, that was not uh, Bishop Filet's original idea, and I think that giving such a response let us say it as it is, was a lie. Uh, anybody that knows history knows that the Jews have always opposed the Catholic Church. They have done it in every country in which they were located, uh, and uh, the Church has had to defend itself against the activities of the Jews, particularly in Catholic lands. That's history. If you're not willing to admit history, then there's nothing to say. Well, and to be fair, even in his in his cover-up, he's being true as well. He says the Jews considered the Catholic Church as the enemy. 
Well, well said. It, it, it was true. Then that is exactly what the uh, the church was considered by the Jews for for uh, for centuries, even shall we say to present day. So yes, so, and there is he should have said there is enmity between Judaism and the Catholic Church. There is as two opposing religions that cannot be reconciled because they oppose each other on the most fundamental point, and that is the messianic dignity of Christ and his divinity. Well, you're, you're heading into Trump territory now, Your Excellency. You're saying the unsayable. I mean, you know you... you well, it's true. As two religions are opposed, the, 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 we are opposed to Islam. We are opposed to Protestants. I mean, as religions, we are opposed. You, you cannot put together Islam and Catholicism, but especially you cannot put together Judaism and Catholicism because they are opposed on the most fundamental point, and that is the divinity of Christ and his messianic dignity. Because if that obstacle were to disappear, they would accept all of Catholicism. There would be no other obstacle. They would say, he is God, we must accept what he says. So once they break through that barrier, there's nothing else to teach them. It's all there. See, so that's why there's such a, a particular opposition. But that doesn't mean, you know, that the, you know, the Catholic Church should go around putting Jews to death or anything like that or, or making life miserable for them. It doesn't mean that. It just means that they're, they, as two religions, they are very much opposed. Right, and different countries had different reactions to them because in, in different countries they they would cause varying levels of of, uh, of problems for for the church and and for its work. Yes, they they, uh, they aided the Muslims against the Catholic Church. They aided the Protestants against the Catholic Church. I think they they realize in their hearts that that true Christianity is the Catholic Church. And I don't think they have much respect for for any of the heresies that have broken off from it. The uh, the interviewer again not clear that he's any kind of Catholic, Novus Ordo or otherwise. Uh, get, reads a quote to Bishop Fillet. Um, he said that uh, Bishop Fillet called Francis a genuine modernist, and quote the situation of the church is a real disaster, and the present Pope is making it ten thousand times worse. The interviewer asks. Do you think Pius X would have tolerated insubordination of that kind from one of his bishops? <laughs> well, uh, of course, what Bishop Fellay should have said is, what I said was absolutely true, and this person is, is doing exactly what I said, and that no Pius X would never have tolerated such insubordination from one of his bishops. That would have been the straightforward answer. And I, I, I suppose that, that part, Your Excellency, was the part that was not painful for me because I think it was maybe the first time in, in Bishop Belay's life that someone basically put it into his face that Pius X would, would not have gone for something like this. He, he does all these safe, siloed interviews, and here's this layman saying, uh, is, this what, is this what Pius X would have tolerated? And, and then uh, he says, he responds to the interview and says, no, when I greet him, I certainly do show him my respect. I do. And then, and then the interviewer says, and then behind his back, you say he's a disaster. 
<laughs> yes, yes. I know the interviewer knew exactly what he was doing and had some very good points and very good questions. And Bishop Fele, you could see, was dodging them, giving him uh, answers that were gobbledygook uh, in order not to say the truth. But everyone knows what Bishop Fele really thinks and what he says in those sermons and speeches is what he really thinks. And he was giving the man essentially garbage back in order to avoid stating the truth in a place where he had the the obligation to profess the truth, that is, in front of the entire public of the world, uh, because that went all through the media. And, and, you know, he had no basis whatsoever to try to wriggle out of those, those answers with, with the absurdities that he gave his answers. I mean, and then, as I said in someplace else, the body language between the you know, the pained expressions on the face and the eyes moving around and it was so pitiful uh, you could see somebody that was uh, in in front of truth and 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 having truth uh, just put right in his face and and he was doing everything he could to avoid giving a straight answer uh, it was deplorable because the very place where, from which you should get a straight answer is from a Catholic bishop. Well, you know, uh, 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 Father Disposito, this is a man with whom we can deal. <laughs> well, obviously, Bishop Philip doesn't want to offend the world. That's, that's, that's it. Doesn't want to be against the world and what, what the world thinks about him. He wants to please the world. He wants to be accepted by the world and the known sort of. So therefore, I mean, he, he has to say those things. He has to de basically deny what he thinks. And uh, that's, that's what he's doing. Uh, it was like the interview that the servant girl gave to St. Peter in the courtyard of uh, Caiaphas. <laughs> right, and, and what, what, what's even worse, he says, uh, the guy says, Bishop Filet, what are your sins? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. I mean, it was pitiful, but it was, I, mean, I don't know which whether to cry or laugh. Could it get worse? Well, to take to take uh, to uh, Bishop Fillet's words earlier, it makes us want to weep. He says, uh, "I talk a little too much. <laughs> I I give the impression of being too sure of myself, and I spend too much time in solitude and not enough with others." <sighs> yeah, that's a real uh, laundry list. Yeah, it it, it uh, the the question was totally out of place and should have been called that. That that's an entirely inappropriate question. I'm not answering it. But to give those as the list of your sins. Now, come on. I think there's a little bit more. Uh, you know, if that's your confession, Bishop Fele. Uh, you know, I, you know, there's a little bit more to it. I think. Well, we're, if we're going to commemorate the Reformation, Your Excellency, let, let's sin a bit more boldly. I mean, these, this is, this is small, small fish here. I mean, let, let's get to the good stuff. I mean, he should have said, uh, trying to, to dissimulate the truth, trying to cover up the truth in front of people who are asking me to give a straight answer, that would have been a great confession. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, the... Uh, Novus Ordo Watch took the uh, 
uh, opportunity to put in a particularly Sam Bornean quote uh, in this in this uh, article about the interview. And I think it's a good way for us to cap off this episode and cap off this discussion, Your Excellency, because ultimately what Francis Watch is about, and, and I know you, you say, you know, you say the same thing every episode, but that's your job. Your job is to speak the truth. And this is from Redite Sunt, January the 6th, 1851. Uh, Pius IX of felicitous memory says, in fact, venerable brother, venerable brother, you are not ignorant of the truth that nothing should be nearer to a Catholic bishop. Nothing is more obligatory for him than heartful, heartfelt respect for the supreme power of this chair of St. Peter. Whence flows sacerdotal unity, the ordination of bishops, and the government of the church. Then to defend with all his strength the rights of this see and to honor them, splendid as they are with an authority not human but divine then to attach himself firmly to the sovereign pontiff, to recognize him, faithfully to render to him all respect and obedience, this pontiff placed in the sea, who has received from our Lord himself, in the person of the blessed prince of the apostles, all power to feed the sheep and the lambs, to confirm his brethren, to rule and govern the whole church throughout the world. Now, who was that, Bishop Fele? Is that, was that, you're quoting Bishop Fele? <laughs> This is uh, this is a Pius IX apostolic letter. Oh, okay. Sorry, I got them mixed up. <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to see Bishop Fillet say anything like that anytime soon. Uh, no. So, um, Father Disposito, uh, I'll, I'll let you go first. Uh, it's been three months since our last Francis watch. Again, Bishop Bishop Sanborn says uh, this is always the same. What do you, do you see anything different from your perception of Francis? I, I almost think that we think that we have him figured out and then he does something even more outrageous and he just keeps upping the ante. I find myself still surprised by this man two years on. I really, I have no idea what's going to happen next. Do you feel like you've got any more of a handle on him? Well, I think, I mean, according to what I have the little, I mean, read online, is that he is, uh, the next thing is probably the a document or since um, condemning the death penalty. That's one of, in the, it's in the agenda. So, uh, after that, I don't know what else uh, uh, the women deacons or... But that will be very soon a thing of the past because there will be the transgender deacons. That will be the, the new thing. Uh, so I can't wait to see one of those deaconesses be a deacon at a motu proprio mass. <laughs> Why not? You know, it's the Holy Father. He says it's okay. You have to be obedient to the Holy Father. The other thing, he said he was, uh, he was going to resign, right? But I don't think that's going to happen. Not for a while, no. Uh, no, I, I think the key to him is that he's a communist, and I, I would say an atheist. His religion is humanity, and that he has a detestation for doctrinal Catholicism, and he, is, he wants to tear down the last vestiges of doctrinal Catholicism. I think that's the key to understanding that man. You know, you reminded me, Your Excellency, I, I skipped over probably what I thought to be the most blockbuster quote of this Francis watch, which was that uh, you talk about his hatred uh, of, you know, uh, of the church and his love for humanity. I, I completely forgot that 
in his interview with Lacroix, uh, he referred to our Lord and the Apostles as, as ISIS, as like ISIS, that uh, Europe should interbreed with Muslims and the Christian roots of Europe should be dreaded. And I think uh, we're not going to go back into that discussion because I think all of those points reinforce themselves, but I think they, they, they lend credence to what you're saying. I mean, could a man who believes in God and who loves the Catholic Church say that our Lord and the Apostles were like ISIS, that the Christian roots of, the Christian roots of Europe should be dreaded, and that we should interbreed with Muslims? I mean, it's just not believable. Uh, that, that, is, that is so... Uh, uh, that reveals so much of what I just said about him. To, to dread the Christian roots of Europe, my, my goodness, the Christian roots of Europe gave the whole world civilization and gave the whole world the faith. Uh, but he detests all that. He detests the, the uh, Christian civilization. He wants a new civilization of a socialized humanity and, and where religion is at the service of humanity. That's, that's for him the, you know, the purpose of, of religion. Uh, just like Marxism, I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, that's un, you have to understand, he, he is not in any way even Christian, in my opinion. Uh, so, uh, but that interview should be saved as, as uh, you know, old business for the next Francis Watch. <laughs> All right, you're, you're actually... That needs about a half an hour of pummeling. <laughs> I wanted to keep your blood pressure down. Uh, I thought we had quite quite a lot already, uh, but we, we will get to that, uh, listeners. So that's a bit of a tease for our next episode of Francis Watch. Uh, in the meantime, uh, your Excellency Father, as I always ask, uh, what's going on at the seminary? You're getting close to the end of the academic year. I should say at least there must be some relief on the horizon. Yes, there is. That's always a happy thought, is that you don't have to prepare classes again for a while. Uh, and uh, the students are happy that they don't have to sit through the classes and especially exams for a while. Although I think they enjoy their courses. You know, I, I th you can tell that they are, uh, at least I think so. I mean, uh, they appear to enjoy their courses. And uh, I think they are anxious uh, to learn. They actually have opted for some extra courses that we have offered them. And uh, Father Ch Father. Um, uh, Disposito is doing an extra course in the magisterium with one of the French students. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think they're anxious to learn and anxious to be well-trained. I think they realize that Most Holy Trinity Seminary is going to give them the best training in the Catholic faith in the whole world. And I, you know, I'm, of course, tooting my own horn, but I think it's objectively true. Uh, I, I do, I really do, that this, they're going to get the best training here. Uh, uh, so, uh, that, you know, from that point of view, yes, we're all happy that it's coming to an end. <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes. And, uh, and we're looking forward to the ordination of Reverend Mr. Eldrocker on June 29th. And uh, this will give another priest to the Catholic world, and um, he will he, make a fine priest, in my opinion. What uh, what are do what does he have planned for his duties, uh, Your Excellency? Well, he won't teach in the seminary, but he's very useful to me in the seminary for other things. Uh, he's the only one that can, you know, tell me how, or I don't even tell, don't even tell me. Just go fix the lights, or you know, if something goes wrong, he knows what to do about it. And we would live like 
like children on a desert island <laughs> if it were not for him. You know, we would we would have no lights. We would have you know nothing would work. Uh, <laughs> the uh, you know we're very academic and and he's very practical. So, uh, but on the other hand, I think it would be good to move him around a little bit and. Uh, uh, be of service to other priests and that will give us some freedom you know to for us to move around as well because he could replace us here so it will oil the works but i could see him spending some time in arizona spending some time up in michigan uh and uh, getting involved in various projects so yeah do i have a specific place to put him no he'll he'll be based at the seminary but he'll move around a lot all six foot seven of them Yes, I said he's definitely adding to the height quotient. Father Disposito is also all of these uh, tall priests you have. Uh, one might think they only they're only uh, ordaining tall tall men at Most Holy Trinity uh, right now, Your Excellency. Well, we're getting a seminarian who's five foot five next year, so <laughs> it'll make the graph plunge down if he gets ordained. <laughs> and uh, Father Disposito, are you, you looking forward to uh, a brief break from classes as well? Uh, yes, but I still have to teach a little bit uh, during the summer, but I enjoy doing that, so uh, it's not a big deal. <laughs> See, we do summer school for the more intelligent young men who can handle it, and with whom we can go a little faster. We do s summer school so that they can actually skip a year, and if they do enough summers, they could skip two years. Uh, so, uh, so a number of them have opted for that, both with Father Disposito and Father Fleece. Happily, they didn't ask me to do anything, so I am as free as a bird this uh, summer. But you know, quote, I do quote, quote unquote free as a bird. You have quite a bit of uh, work ahead of you. you. We might talk about that in another episode. So. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm as free as the great aluminum bird. Let's put it that way, <laughs> uh, because I get into those birds quite a bit, and uh, I, I just got back from Seattle. And uh, I go out to Detroit in a week. Uh, it, it never ends, really. I'm, I'm always in an airplane now. So, uh, so you know, I, I'll be freed up to do some of that. And we have a, a trip. I, ha I have a trip to Europe, London, Belgium, France. And uh, I will do the tonsure of one of our French seminarians in France, which I, I think will be a, an interesting beginning. We have these two uh, seminarians who are very promising, and uh, I need to establish for them an apostolate in France. So uh, that's one of my motives for going to France. Well, as always, uh, Your Excellency, Father, thanks so much for your time. And we will talk to you next time as we continue this series. May God bless you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. If you have any questions for His Excellency or Father about anything you heard on today's episode, please feel free to email questions, that's question with an S, at truerestoration.org. We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. All of us here at member-supported Restoration Radio hope that you found the show to be informative, helpful, and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.